Puerto Rico has been under U.S. rule for more than 120 years. Its current status is that of a territory or a commonwealth. But across political parties, many agree that in practice, Puerto Rico is being treated as a modern-day colony today. And there have been many attempts to change this. Puerto Ricans have voted six times regarding Puerto Rico status. But those votes were non-binding, so Congress didn't have to abide by the results. Well, just today, House members presented a bill that would lead to yet another vote. But this time, Congress would be involved in the process, and Puerto Ricans would choose between statehood, independence, or free association. To talk about this bill, I was joined today by Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Here's our conversation. Congresswoman, thank you so much for joining me. Of course. Thanks for having me. So let's talk about this bill. To give a little bit of context, there were two bills in Congress to try to deal with Puerto Rico status. There was a one bill that was known as the statehood bill, and that one sought to recognize the results of the 2020 election where 22, I'm sorry, where 52% of voters that turned out chose statehood for Puerto Rico. Then there was the other bill, and that's the one that you co-authored, and that one sought to have a status convention where Puerto Ricans would come up with options, and then there would be a vote to choose among those options. However, it seems that in recent weeks, you have sat down and said, let's compromise. And that's how you came up with this bill. Tell me about this bill. Yeah, so I mean, as you mentioned, the process for getting to this bill, as I said, um, as I said at the press conference when we unveiled it earlier today, I said it was es un milagro for sure because I did not think in a million years that um, we would be able to get to this point after over a hundred years of colonization by the United States and over five hundred years of colonization period. Um, and so much uh, debate over status, uh, it, it, it was frankly quite shocking to me that we just had this moment where, um, where folks were genuinely willing to come to the table and compromise in order to get and, and achieve a process of decolonization and self-determination. So the way that we were able to, to really broker a compromise is, is in the following bill is to make sure that we were able to create a process that was not partisan, that did not favor any one, uh, any one status, but also was not a, a vote on an individual status. So very often, I think in past controversies uh, with elections, status elections in Puerto Rico, is the way that they are constructed has been challenged as biased. Um, an engineer to favor a certain outcome. Some, many would allege to favor an engineer a statehood outcome. And so what this bill does is that it's historic for several reasons. The first one is that it is binding to the United States. So in past plebiscites and in past elections, the United States was under no obligation to actually honor the results of a status election. This, uh, this bill requires the United States to actually, um, to actually be bound to honor and self-execute on the results of a status election. The second thing that this bill does is that it, it puts down that three options for a status election. So it's not statehood, yes, no, independence, yes, no, et cetera. It gives Puerto Ricans and it gives Boricuas three options. The first is full statehood. The second is a free, is a sovereign free associated state 
in treaty with the United States. There are examples of this of other uh, former U.S. colonies that have decolonized. Um, most recently is, is the country of Palau, which uh, determined its sovereignty in 1994. But what that also does is that not only do they have sovereignty, but they also have a compact with the United States. And so they get to enjoy uh, certain certain privileges, uh, such as enrollment in the ACA, attendance of US educational institutions, and so on. And, and that arrangement would be negotiated between Puerto Rico and the United States. It also includes a, um, a time period whereby people born in Puerto Rico can continue to receive US citizenship for the duration of the first, of, of the first compact. So for example, with Palau, uh, that first compact lasted 50 years. If Puerto Rico had negotiated a, sim a similar com compact, um, people born in Puerto Rico will continue to be US citizens for 50 years if, if, it was, if that was the length of the first contract. And the third option is full independence um, with, with no compact, um, but full complete independence from the United States. And those are the three options that are laid down. So this bill is quite historic. Also, uh, the Department of Justice would oversee elections conducted in Puerto Rico, which would allow for an accountability mechanism um, and really address a lot of our crisis of faith in some of the electoral institutions on the island and ensure that a fair process uh, in which ballot materials would be reviewed and other sorts of materials would be reviewed as well. So it's, um, it's an incredibly historic bill, not to mention the fact that this is the first time that the United States will have acknowledged uh, the fact that it actually is a colonial arrangement um, between the United States and Puerto Rico. For a very, very long time, the United States has refused to acknowledge that this is in fact a colonial arrangement and has defended the second class, the, what is, you know, in my view, the second class citizenship of Puerto Ricans. And so um, it, it is also very, very historic for for that reason as well. But as you mentioned, there are those three options. The territorial option is left out because if there's something that both sides agreed on was that that would be continuing Puerto Rico's colonial situation. But we've heard the Justice Department say in the past that a future referendum should include the territorial option. You just mentioned the Justice Department and they, they express this under the Biden administration. Let me ask you, why do you think the Justice Department is pushing for that option to be included? You know, I think that um, that the Justice Department was kind of providing that feedback uh, in terms of their preference for how a, a, a future plebiscite would be conducted. But what makes this different is that Congress ultimately has the power uh, to prescribe what those options would be in the law. And so where the Department of Justice is interpreting current law, uh, which in which this bill has not, you know, was not even introduced, let alone passed, I think in their assessment of current law and past plebiscites, that was the conclusion that they went to. But I do believe that ultimately the Department of Justice will interpret um, Congress's, uh, I do believe the Department of Justice will interpret Congress's legislation as, um, as written. We also know that there's resistance locally to eliminating that territorial option. We have a party called 
Partido Popular Democrático, and that party has historically supported the status quo and the territorial option. They do agree that it has to uh, be a better option and kind of tweak some things, but they have said that they will not support a referendum that doesn't include the territorial option, and that having a referendum that doesn't include it is ignoring the part of the Puerto Rican population that wants to have that option. What do you say to that? You know, I think that at the end of the day, we ultimately have to confront the fact that this is, that Puerto Rico is a neo-colony. The United States has acknowledged it. Um, many Puerto Ricans acknowledge it. We've gone through Maria. We've gone through the terremotos in the southern region in 2019. We've seen from recent Supreme Court rulings uh, that that people on the island are second-class citizens in the United States. And frankly, I think that um, as, as a member in a body serving the United States, uh, you know, a parliament or a legislature, uh, rather, in the United States, it is not acceptable for us, for the United States, to continue to... And this does, I believe, um, I mean, in general, but particularly as a neocolonial uh, empire, And this, of course, still continues to raise questions around territories and regions like Guam, the U.S. Virgin Islands, and more. We're not finished with this work yet, but I think that it is just simply unsustainable. And to to defend the status quo after thousands of Puerto Ricans died in Maria, after people still continue to have decisions made for them by Uh, federal officials that they don't even have a right to vote for, and for whom their federal representation also doesn't even have the right to vote, it is completely unsustainable. And we cannot continue to defend an arrangement that is the continued colonization of our people. And even if I think some of, sure, certainly there may be some people that, that enjoy the colonial status, but it is, it frankly should be illegal. So today during the press conference, something that was mentioned is that part of this bill is a heavy education component where the Puerto Rican people understand what's on the table. Congresswoman, I'm a little bit embarrassed to admit this, but the reality is that I was born and raised in Puerto Rico. I'm 32 years old, and it wasn't until last year that I really understood the difference between the freely associated state and free association. So I can tell you personally that some of us still need to understand better what these options mm -hmm. are. Now, a big sticking point for that free association option, which is two sovereign countries entering into a pact, one of the big sticking points for that option was whether Puerto Ricans born in Puerto Rico, future generations, will continue to have U.S. citizenship. You mentioned that before. Can Puerto Ricans rest assured that if they were to vote for that option, their kids and grandkids would have U.S. citizenship? So um, here's how it works. I would say for, for kids, yes, but here's the details of the arrangement. As I mentioned that the length of the first compact, um, people born during the length of that first compact would be born as full U.S. citizens. And so, for example, uh, the closest example that we have is the nation of Palau, when they declared independence from the United States uh, in 1994 um, and entered a sovereign free association, uh, their first compact lasted 50 years. So whether Puerto Rico's first compact is 25 years or 50 years is frankly up to the, um, the, the representatives, 
the Puerto Rican representatives and U.S. representatives what they come to an agreement to. So people born during that time would be born as U.S. citizens. Now, children born after that to children of U.S. citizens um, would be eligible to be U.S. citizens but would have to go through a naturalization process, the same thing that would happen if, if um, a U.S. citizen was pregnant and traveled to another country and was born and had their child in Germany, for example, they can, they, they, you essentially fill out a form and have your child become a U.S. citizen. Um, and so that is basically how the process would go uh, if for people that are, are born during the compact and after the compact. So it's up to the length of that first compact, um, which is subject to the negotiation between Puerto Rico and the United States. Uh, but in past examples, we have seen anything between 25 to 50 years. So I know that in these negotiations, both sides had to give some things up. Um, for the people who were pushing for what was known as the statehood bill, they had to give up this idea that Puerto Ricans had already voted and they voted for statehood. And now it was a matter of making Puerto Rico a state. On your side, uh, you had to give up uh, the idea of a status convention or a constitutional assembly. Now, in hearings, you said that a constitutional assembly was the most inclusive, democratic and just process to decolonize Puerto Rico. Now that you've had to give that up, do you still think this is this is a democratic and just process for Puerto Ricans? I do. I do. You know, I think that a, a constitutional convention would be the purest possible process and the purest uh, possible and democratic process for um, for pursuing uh, for pursuing self-determination. It is also a much longer process that is much more protracted as well. Um, I still supported that um, and I still continue to support it. Uh, but ultimately, I do believe that um, the three options presented are the three options, the, the three realistic options for Puerto Rico's future. You either have statehood or you have independence or you have a free associated state. Um, and there really aren't any other um, substantive arrangements. But the good news, I think, as well, is that what we were able to do in terms of the process is that what was released today was a was a draft discussion bill. And then what we're going to do in the first week of, of June is that we are going to go to Puerto Rico and we are now soliciting input from um, from everyday people on the island, from grassroots movements, et cetera, for their input on the draft discussion of the bill. And so there is a, a democratic process and window here whereby people on the island can provide feedback to the legislation before it is formally introduced. So this is not the first time that the House comes up with a bill uh, that would lead to a process that would be binding. What we've seen in the past is that it might pass the House, but it doesn't make it very far in the Senate. Is this going to be the case? We've heard so far that even with this bill, we've heard uh, that it's a non-starter in the Senate. So can the Puerto Rican people expect that it would be any different this time? I do think that there are some possibilities here. Um, now, the reason for that is because, first of all, this bill is bipartisan. Uh, the current elected uh, Democratic representative from, from or rather the current elected representative from Puerto Rico caucuses with the Republican Party. And, um, and so in that sense, uh, this bill is bipartisan. And I do believe that depending on 
um, you know, d depending on uh, Representative Colon's ability to garner support within her party, if this bill passes on a largely bipartisan basis, that actually broadly and dramatically increases the possibilities here for the Senate. Um, what is difficult in the Senate is passing partisan bills, bills that are, you know, only passed with Democratic votes. But we already have a member who caucuses with the Republican Party that is co-sponsoring this legislation. And so I think the way that the House passage happens, whether if it happens purely on a party line vote, I do think that reduces our odds of Senate passage. But if it doesn't pass on a party line vote and she is able to deliver Republican votes, um, I think that also uh, could potentially signal a very strong possibility for movement in the Senate. So, Congresswoman, with the time we have left, I do want to ask you about two issues that are directly related to Puerto Rico status. Uh, because Puerto Rico is not a state, it could do things like pass Act 22. Act 22 is a tax incentive that has been in place for 10 years, and it invites people to move to Puerto Rico, and they have a 0% capital gains tax once they become residents of Puerto Rico. What we've seen is that we've uh, seen thousands of people move and take advantage of the tax incentive. It has attracted a lot of wealthy people that have buying power that supersedes that of the local population. So we've seen investors buy whole buildings and then tell the residents that they have to leave because they have different plans for those buildings. I want to ask, first of all, your opinion on Act 22 and on the consequences that some local communities say it's having on them. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's, I think Act 22, 20, 22, 60, uh, I think it's horrifying. And I think that it is an example of, um, I, I really do think that it's an example of the continued colonization of the people of Puerto Rico. In fact, I actually believe that there's a lot of mirrors here between what we see today and what we saw when Puerto Rico was first colonized uh, by the United States. A lot of people sometimes assume that it was just a military takeover because the United States acquired Puerto Rico in its victory over Spain during the Spanish-American War, except the actual colonization of the island happened using financial tools and instruments through the devaluation of currency, through the kind of engineered, the artificially engineered poverty of Puerto Ricans that put them, essentially subjugated them and created an, an enormous amount of dependence on Puerto Rico. And I think what we're seeing today is a structure where we are essentially importing a ruling class in the island that is not of Puerto Ricans, not for Puerto Ricans, um, and frankly is not benefiting Puerto Ricans because those same folks that are moving here on Act 20, uh, Act 20 and Act 22 are not, are also not really paying their fair share in local taxes to actually help keep our schools open, uh, you know, finance infrastructure, etc. So I'm, I'm very much not a proponent of Act 20 and Act 22. In addition to the federal, um, you know, the, the federal loopholes where people are simply able to just move to Puerto Rico for six months and not be subject to any federal income tax and then move right back to the United States. Um, without really truly spending uh, the time here to actually be part of communities and, and, and really be, I think, authentic residents. Senator Chuck Schumer has said that he also opposes um, Act 22. He went as far as saying, what if Congress were to withhold funds until Puerto Rico strikes that law down? Uh, 
Is there a scenario where we could see Congress pressuring Puerto Rico to get rid of Act 22? You know, I, I certainly think that it's a possibility, but I, I think politically the reality is right now, it's, it, I mean, we already are challenged, frankly, with the ignorance of a lot of members of Congress that don't even understand Puerto Rico's status as it is. And so in terms of building the political momentum whereby it, people would be supportive of urgent action, while it is possible politically, it would be, I think, difficult to to put this at the top of the docket, especially considering that um, I, I strongly believe that this would not be partisan. Uh, it rather it would be partisan in nature. And frankly, there's enough people here in both parties that are that accept Wall Street funding that I, I find it to be politically uphill, um, although I would be supportive of such an option as well. So uh, lastly, I want to ask you about La Junta. We know there's an oversight board of unelected members that oversee Puerto Rico's finances. The uh, Biden administration, the Biden-Harris campaign promised, one of the things they promised was to see that the authority of Puerto Rico's elected officials was respected. However, we've seen many instances where the board supersedes what elected officials decide, and we have seen that recently. Do you think the Biden administration has failed in those promises that they made to Puerto Rico regarding its sovereignty? Well, I certainly don't believe that um, what they had outlined in their platform has been executed. And it does take an act of Congress, I believe, the same way that La Junta was created with the passage of the PROMESA Act. Um, and that, that happened prior to my joining, which I did not support at the time, continue to not support. But the same way that La Junta was created by Congress, Congress also needs to uh, abolish La Junta as well. And, um, and the Biden administration can say that they want that, um, but the fact of the matter is it, the movement hasn't happened yet. What I will say is that the, I don't believe that the Biden administration has really acted or been vocal or really taken any action to even indicate that this is a preference of theirs. Um, because it's one thing to say something during a campaign. It's another thing to say something during your time of governance. And I do not believe that the Biden administration has really done uh, everything that it can do using even just their bully pulpit to communicate that this is a status quo that is completely unsustainable. Thank you so much for your time, Congresswoman. I can't let you go without asking you this last thing. I know that you have family in Puerto Rico. I know you come here to visit your relatives. Aside from obviously missing your relatives, what other thing do you miss most of Puerto Rico when you're not here? Oh, man. Well, I always miss the people. I miss the culture. And I miss la naturaleza. Just being, whether it's at the beaches or whether it's, you know, hopping in a friend's Jeep and, and just doing a whole day, uh, stopping at all of the little uh, all the little places um, on the way up to the mountains, going to Orocovis or whether it's Anadislote. Uh, I just really, really enjoy the people and the nature of the island. And there's really, truly nothing like it. I hope to, I hope to have a home there someday. Well, we do have beautiful nature here. Thank you so much for talking to me today and for discussing these important topics. Hope to talk to you soon. 
Of course. Thank you so much. I did a series of videos on Puerto Rico status. I went over all three options presented on this bill. I also went into the current status, the territorial option. I'll link to that playlist below so you can watch those videos. As always, thank you for watching. Thank you for your support and I'll see you soon.